section two of the rover volume one number four this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the rover volume one number four edited by seba smith and lawrence labrie section two the student of esslingen books dreams are each a world wordsworth there was at one time in the university of esslingen a young student named herder whose retired habits and excessive application to books had gained him some notice from the heads of his college while by his beer-drinking fellow-students he was scarcely known out of the lecture-room for while they made up noisy parties and drank and smoked sang Walston quarrelled he was bent over some book in his poor lodging on the outskirts of the city german students not living within the walls of their colleges and his hours were spent in toiling but for one object the attainment of college honours by which he would at once receive the qualifications for a pastor one night near the close of june the beauty of the weather seduced him from his desk and he took the road out of the city and strolling along beneath limes and oak trees watched the last green tinge left in the skies by the departed sunlight and lulled by the serenity of the hour he fell into a reverie upon his own hopes and prospects castles in the air are the bright inheritance of the young and the poor student continued to build them while the twilight deepened and the stars gleamed faintly over his path suddenly his dream was broken by the sound of carriage wheels coming at a great rate along the road then there were shouts a whirring sound and a crash and hurrying forward herder saw four plunging horses held by postilions and a carriage overturned on the roadside a groom was assisting a lady through the door and the student hastened to her help also she was easily extricated and herder expressed his hopes that she had not been hurt and when she answered he perceived that she was closely masked but her air was highly distinguished and her person noble and he became interested with the singularity of his adventure the lady declined his offer to see her to a house in the neighbourhood while the carriage was righted and she remained standing at the roadside and conversed with him among other questions which she asked with the air of a person not in the habit of having her wishes questioned she inquired if he had come from esslingen and on learning that he was at the university desired to know the nature of his studies and his future designs with a naivete that astonished the diffident student there was however something so charming in the manner of this woman her remarks bespoke so much cultivation of mind and her whole bearing toward him was so gracious that when the carriage was ready he was about to beg her to let him know with whom he had the honour of conversing but he thought of her mask and modestly refrained when she was seated she bent forward and once more thanked him for his attention to her and said in a soft sweet voice good-night i shall see you again he could just perceive by the light of the carriage lamps two deep blue eyes through the mask bent earnestly upon his face and confused and delighted he stood motionless for some minutes till the carriage was lost to his sight the high tinge of romance in herder's mind was excited by the occurrence of the evening he did not open his books when he returned to his lodgings every object in it looked strange and mean a new feeling possessed him he sat at the open window 
and gazed at the distant light and heard the hum of the city and felt more dissatisfied with his lot than he had ever been before in the three years of privation and unceasing study that he had passed there how worthless seemed his pursuits what a waste of youth and the faculties of enjoyment never till this moment had obscurity seemed to him so oppressive a curse and at last when wearied with the burden of saddening thoughts he sought his bed and slept dream followed dream and all of which that fair mask with those beautiful unmeaning eyes seemed ever to be before him day followed day herder had returned to his books and found in them that calm which perhaps is their greatest attraction to the unhappy but he wrote more than usual his thoughts flowed into verse and now wild and glowing now sad and bitter poem after poem was rapidly composed on the third evening from that of his remembered meeting with the lady he had lighted his lamp and arranged his books and casting one look on the pleasant gardens without lighted by the summer moon had closed the casement when he was startled by the sound of faint music that seemed to be within his chamber he smiled and thought it could be only fancy no there again and a low chanting was heard at his door the sounds were so spiritual that when they melted away herder stood breathless always imaginative his secluded life had left him peculiarly open to supernatural impressions he sprang to the door and when he had opened it the masked lady glided into the room she stood for a moment in silence regarding the objects around her and then turning to poor herder who looked on in amazement she murmured in a melancholy voice i said that i should see you again and this is your home she continued fixing upon him those dangerous eyes and added in an almost pitying tone and are you happy the blood mounted to the pale cheek of the student at the strangeness of the question yet there was such an indefinite grace mingled with her air of command that herder was almost charmed by her abruptness without seeming to expect an answer to her question she turned to his desk and glancing at the papers upon it she exclaimed ah i see you are a poet and remained for some time attentively reading his recent writings and then praised them with an enthusiasm that quite transported the author she begged that she might keep them and was not refused at this moment the clocks in the city were heard striking nine julius she said he started for he had not told her his christian name julius i have travelled far to-night that i might see you and i wish you to return with me i can display to your eyes a scene such as poets have fabled but which is invisible in the dim world where our wildest and most fantastic thoughts have a shape and life where the ideal spirit of beauty that we have adored in our hearts is infused into breathing miracles of grace and life retains the freshness of youth and glows with the fire of inspiration where she stood the moonlight fell around her through the casement for the lamp burnt dimly the enthusiasm of a prophetess seemed to possess her her neck and arms were of deathly paleness and through her mask her eyes gleamed with a light that turned cold the blood of the student gradually her manner softened and advancing to him she held forth a crystal phial saying drink of this there is a charm in it he hesitated she took his upraised hand drink she repeated persuasively the hand clasped in his was soft and warm and felt perfectly mortal confused and yet led away by the fascination of her manner the student took the phial there was magic in the touch of that beautiful hand i will drink said he on condition that you tell me your name and unmask your face my name she said slowly is Sosi. you will behold my features when you have drunk drank of this and pausing suddenly listen she exclaimed and while she spoke strains of airy music floated through the room and a plaintive voice chanted to it life has closed his weary eyes and on a starlit pillow lies awakened sleeps deep 
mysteries day is done on the pinions of the night thought is taking silent flight through regions of immortal light day is gone the student had drunk of the charm ere the voice was silent a delightful languor overcame him his sight was overloaded the figure of his temptress waxed more and more dim the world had vanished from him when he again unclosed his eyes they were dazzled by the flood of golden light around him exquisite music floated on the air and as he rose from the couch where he had been lying a figure crouching at his feet started up in the shape of one of the piping fawns of antiquity and stood flute in hand regarding him attentively as herder gazed on the scene before him a feeling of intense pleasure filled his being he stood in a colonnade of marble open to the air and beyond it lay in the lustrous moonlight clusters of trees and several buildings of greek architecture a supernatural light fell upon them as if they had been seen through coloured glass at his feet there was a flight of steps which his attendant fawn invited him to descend he did not descend he had no thought but for the objects before him the heaviness of mortality had been shaken off and in his veins there glowed immortal youth ah blessed draught if the work were thine who does not sigh to drink encircled by flowers and ravishing voices that floated on the breath of night he came to a marble basin into which gushed four streams of crystal water from a pedestal in the centre carved around with drooping water-lilies and supporting a statue of the despairing hyacinth gazing in vain into that wrinkled fountain for the image of the fatal beauty that immortalized him wandering through the trees to the student came before a building illuminated within and heard the hum of many voices and laughter and singing from an irresistible impulse he ascended the steps to the entrance as he approached the brazen doors fell slowly back and he stood in the blaze of light which issued through them the guiding fawn was no longer by his side but he advanced to a gallery hung with garlands boys were waving urns of incense about and on couches irregularly placed lay the forms of men and women who seemed insensible to outward impressions their glaring eyes fixed on vacancy but the student only glanced at them his eyes were fascinated by what seemed to be a living statue beside him and what wert thou o form of grace thy brows bound with roses and with ivory arm upraised bearing a crystal vase olympian hebe hast thou indeed forsaken the gods clasp the proverb cup poor student and gaze while yet you may on the flushing bloom of that youthful cheek the charm is almost worked he sinks beside it life time and reality are gone crowds of half-perfect forms fill the air and as they gradually combine he beholds a vast hall filled with groups such as we only see in paintings or in dreams animated with new life the student advances he wears a white robe and is crowned with laurel he enters the throng which seems to be pervaded by a general feeling of delight young girls to whose radiant loveliness the fairest sculpture would be cold the work of an inspired pencil dim cling together in attitudes of perfect grace in a buoyant and mazy dance gazing upon these with dreamy and lustreless eyes a man of singular aspect reclined in the midst of the hall he was of low stature and deformed in person with long heavy sallow features but to which the imaginative brow though stamped with care gave strong expression beside him his hand clasped in hers was a woman of the most spiritual beauty but pale to wanness around these two all present seemed to revolve at the instant the student approached them something was addressed to the person we have described by his fair companion he looked up into her face and smiled and the smile did not depart from their features as they regarded the student as he passed sounds of gay laughter attracted him from his path he beheld an old mean-featured man in the dress of ancient greece listening with a smile to the musical voice of another greek who was crowned with flowers and of an effeminate but a singularly beautiful person 
the cup of life exclaimed the latter in a triumphant tone should be drained at once believe it dear socrates that if we hoard up its virtues for our maturer age we shall find it dry with time here alcibiades shouted the bystanders socrates gently shook his head and pointed out the dancing girls to his companion as better suited to him than philosophizing upon life they both arose and moved toward them and approaching herder alcibiades touched him on the shoulder young poet he said till my sage friend here which is the better fame or pleasure may not fame be also enjoyment responded the poet good philosophy remarked socrates who proceeded to prove with all the ingenuity of the ancient schools that fame was nothing but pleasure and pleasure in reality fame ah sighed alcibiades had you asked him whether day was night he would have shown beyond dispute that there was in fact no difference between them come some wine my friends and yet he added despondingly even in drinking he is my master but i hate an old clay vessel through which the vine juice never sparkles the sage reclined at the feet of a bronze silenus was freely quaffing from an immense tankard and heard the jibe with stoical indifference but with every draught and they coursed one another like ripples on a stream the wit of alcibiades flashed brighter and brighter the crowd as the hours flew grew more noisy there was a general stir a bacchus crowned with ivy and borne along by a herd of satyrs flourishing branches of the plane tree rushed hither and thither and above the triumphal music that resounded through the hall rang the clanging of cymbals and the air was pierced with flutes the light grew unsteady in the eyes of alcibiades to the poet-student the whole world seemed reeling he heard one dizzying shout and then this insubstantial pageant faded herder started from a deep sleep the sun was shining cheerfully into his room he heard the church bells and the patter of many feet on the road he had slept without undressing and now lay striving through the whirl of his brain to recall that which seemed to him to have been a long dream the sounds of music still rang in his ears and when he shut his eyes those exquisite forms were twining in the dance could it be all false and yet so fair and the masked lady was she too the creature of his imagination he rose from his bed to open the window he could not bear the stillness of the room and there on the window-seat lay the chaplet of laurel he had worn and a small book beside it this he opened and found it to be his own poems that he had so lately given to the masked lady in print with his name to them on the first page he found these words written in a female hand you will contend for the college prizes venture all the honour will be yours was this he thought again the work of that mocking spirit whose delight seemed to be in perplexing him to what would all this mystery lead and as what must he consider the adventures of the past night if indeed they were real he felt confused and saddened a strange lassitude had crept over him and after remaining for hours at his window it was not till nearly evening that he went forth with dizzy perceptions and a troubled mind to dream at the spot where he had first seen the masked lady time rolled on the student had no more special visits but the events of that night whether true or false worked with painful effect upon him with everyday life he felt nothing in common on the pleasures and the cares of all around he looked with a glazed eye to him the mere sounds of human existence were tedious or irritating but though this dejected and morbid spirit possessed him he still clung to his books for a hidden power seemed to impel him to fulfil the behest conveyed to him with the laurel absorbed in this object he took so little either of rest or food that the good people of the house where he lived at length ventured to counsel him as to the ruin such constant study would bring on his health but instead of the gentleness that formerly characterized the manner of the student their kind interference was met by so stern and bitter a rebuke that they shrunk from all farther communication with him meantime the day for the college examinations approached 
many an anxious head was on the rack of divinity or metaphysics those like herder to whom present distinction afforded the only chance of future fortune were screwing up their energies for the last desperate and concentrated struggle and all the while with no little anxiety as to the progress of their friends for even in this little arena there flourished a spirit of rivalry worthy of a greater scene envy and jealousy stirred up the most honeyed natures to gall and wormwood ambition was not born a twin among the rest the student pursued with a deep enthusiasm the common object could we have read the dull pages that ever occupied him with his eyes there might have been seen shining above their weary length the images of his kindred and his home that small and obscure village that he left on foot three years back for eslingen he might perhaps return to as a blessing to those he loved honoured and independent we sometimes make great sacrifices to our household gods whether we watch the struggles of ambition in the senate the college or even the theatre there is ever a hidden sympathy that seems to string our own faculties for the strife before us we gain a reflected sense of power and ride on the whirlwind and partake the gale raised by the stormy passions of others in a college examination there is however an interest apart from the strife of parties the candidates are young in mind and hope their unworn energies just armed for a nobler fight the world before them with its hard and ill-judging estimate of their powers perhaps success but how much of hope deferred and talent thrown away the day dawned at last by noon the students had filled the great hall of the university and fell into groups as acquaintanceship led them with for the most part grave and absorbed faces and only occasionally exchanged a word or two some who knew they had no chance in the approaching contention treated the matter gaily and their light jests flew about that sombre hall which for centuries had seen within its walls similar scenes and it echoed to the footsteps of their ancestors the entrance of the examiners increased the hum of voices for a moment and then subdued them they came in habited in their robes of state and took their seats on a raised part of the hall at the upper end in the light of a large stained-glass window through which gleams of many-coloured light rested on the antique masonry of the walls the examination papers were then distributed and to the stir caused by this succeeded a long silence as each student became engrossed in the questions allotted to him as the papers were completed they were sent back to the examiners and many hours passed in unbroken labour of the brains and then when the whole number were collected the examiners retired to decide on the victorious candidate the crowd was again broken up into parties no longer silent but explaining disputing and questioning and declaring the number of questions that each competitor had answered to herder's dismay he found that in point of numbers he stood very low but among the crowd no one thought of questioning him he was unknown the more fortunate attracted knots of listeners around them and one especially from the great advantage he had over the rest in the number of his answers drew around him a circle of those who relied on his success and his name was whispered from one to the other all over the hall herder's heart sank within him was he about to fail in his dearest object did the long and weary hours he had toiled through to attain it now indeed avail him not and the prediction with the wreath was that a cheat perhaps merely the hoax of some of those around him he had set all upon this cast and here was his reward dejected and weary he leaned against a column of the hall his eyes watching with all the intentness that we devote often to trivial objects while some great affair is pending the party-coloured rays that fell upon the flagstones ask a criminal on trial for his life and he will confess with what painful minuteness he has examined the sprigs of rosemary strewn before him fevered by the exertions of the morning he gloomily awaited the proclamation of the name of the successful candidate and in despair at his certain failure what bitterness he experienced in that hour 
gradually however his mind to relieve itself from the deadliest of all pangs excepting that of love betrayed the pang of ruined ambition revived in him almost forgotten feelings little circumstances that came shining through the mist of time bright and endearing recollections of his childish years fell on his jaded spirits like memories of another life how he longed through the fret and fever of life to be lying dead and untroubled by his father's side in the quaint and well-remembered churchyard of his native place at length his dream was dissipated a general stir announced the re-entrance of the examiners every ear was now strained to catch the victorious name of the first in their ranks one might have thought too by their intensity of gaze that they strove to gather the fact out of the impassable faces of the judges herder shrunk from hearing the coming sound so fatal to him and those he loved a breathless silence pervaded every part of the hall so keenly that it was almost painful the chief examiner rose almost immediately and they heard with an effect like that of an electric shock the two words julius herder amid a continuation of the death-like silence he made his way half stunned to the seat of judgment when the examiner in a silvery voice that rang clearly through the lofty building addressed him to this effect julius herder i have now with the undivided concurrence of my brother examiners to confer upon you the highest distinction which this university can bestow on a student and we cannot allow so richly merited an honour as the professorship of poetry to pass from our hands without expressing the high sense of gratification that your obtaining it affords us i have by command of the grand duke the pleasure of delivering this to you at the same time herder received a sealed packet and through the crowd that on all sides made way for him he gained the doors wonder-stricken and scarcely yet awakened to a full sense of his triumph he traversed the college gardens with uncertain steps the packet he found to contain an appointment of value to the service of the grand duke's sister with an order to attend on the court on the next day how soothingly came the light warm summer wind against his thought-worn cheek his toils forgotten the prediction true the object gained he hastened to his lodging and wrote to his family in the singleness of his heart that he should soon be with them as the evening closed in he strolled full of sweet and pleasant thoughts to the spot where the carriage had been overturned a place so full to him of some dim influence his guardian spirit however did not appear to congratulate him and with a light heart he retraced his steps to his lodging and for one night gave his books a holiday the simplicity of manners in the german courts will account for the little anxiety of herder respecting his appearance the next day at that of the grand duke it was not necessary to hire a livery and sword to appear in as at more ostentatious exhibitions before royalty so that an early hour in his simple college dress he reached the palace and walked unquestioned into the state apartments many persons were standing around the grand duke so as to entirely conceal him from herder who from the great retirement of his life had never seen him as he stood near the door waiting an opportunity of presenting himself a young military officer covered with orders passed in and as he went by herder bowed slightly and smiled the student felt certain that he had seen him before but could not recall upon what occasion many other faces seemed singularly familiar to him at last he approached the grand duke and as a person before him made way he advanced and was presented by a chamberlain but what was his amazement nay almost horror to behold in the grand duke himself the deformed and remarkable man who reclined in the centre of the visionary hall he had little time to observe him closely for after a few kind words expressed in a faint and languid voice he said that his sister would receive the student in her apartments and then the crowd pressed forward and heard her passed on the young officer he had before noticed again passed with an elderly nobleman whose arm he held both saluted herder and did he see aright or were they indeed the socrates and alcibiades of his dream naturally puzzled he walked onward to the duchess's apartments 
in so abstracted a mood that had it not been for one of her pages who caught his arm he certainly would have fallen headlong into her presence the page hastily announced him and on entering he saw no one in the room but a woman of elegant figure whose back was toward him and who as she turned revealed to his astonished eyes the masked lady she held forth her hand he knelt and kissed it full of a crowd of emotions that brought a choking sensation in his throat and an agitation so violent as could not fail to be perceived by the beautiful woman before whom he knelt she desired him to rise and said smilingly as you are now to be my secretary it is time to clear up the mystery of the mask this she took off and the bewildered student beheld the same exquisite person as sat in that scene of mysteries with the person he now found to be the grand duke you will forgive my using magic towards you she continued but the spell is now ended you will learn from others the secret of what you have seen to me the scenes you have beheld were raised for too painful an object to allow me willingly to dwell on the subject farewell for the present but i should perhaps tell you that your poetry has grown into wonderful popularity and has travelled to weimar and been approved of there she ceased and her secretary left her in a mood between laughing and crying was he perplexed at finding his unknown to be a duchess deep in reverie he was returning through the state apartments when he succeeded in stumbling over a sharp-eyed little man in a very slovenly dress powdered down the front with a profusion of snuff ah exclaimed he when he had recovered his legs heard her my dear fellow i have been dying to meet with you i salute you as an old friend as i know you already through your book so you are coming among us i you know am court poet devilish dull work here i only keep myself alive by the judicious use of epigrams you see what mischief springs out of ennui you have been i think to the immortal regions as the fools here call a pretty invention of his highnesses for killing time you talked with alcibiades as that hare-brained count calls himself ah bah he bids fair to excel his model in debauchery but what does it all mean interrupted herder pray inform me or i shall be really as mad as every one else seems to be why said the poet after a long pinch of snuff as he put on a malicious sneer our friend the duke has very crazy health and takes opium immensely to keep himself alive being like ourselves something of a genius certainly much too clever for a petty sovereign he has contrived at a country house to sacrifice all the solid comforts of a table and well-chosen wines for the riot and folly of a french masquerade with greek characters and between the wine we drink there to steep our senses in oblivion and some extraordinary opiate administered by a pretty girl who acts hebe very respectably though she originally danced a rope at frankfort fair we manage to make one another believe we are in the elysian fields it is however very well managed and with much taste and imagination but it is the opium in reality that gives it the couleur de rose you shall see my epigram upon it and such was really the intention of the unhappy grand duke to forget in the delirium of opium and in the midst of forms dear to sculpture and painting the loss of health and the deformity of person and the sadness that springs from a sense of life having been unenjoyed who shall know what dreams of beauty what sweet impulses of youth passed in that weary mind when beneath the influence of the fatal charm he appeared to the world a wretched man whose dull and joyless eye fell coldly on the loveliness of the world a few years and the poet-student heard the requiem performed over his patron's body the spirit so misplaced here had found its resting-place of the student of eslingen i can only learn that he ever found in the duchess a charming mistress history says no more and of the rest of that wild court i find that socrates at seventy-six married a girl of sixteen and alcibiades used frequently to have the gout the court poet was dismissed for stealing a pair of the palace candlesticks he revenged himself in a bitter epigram directly he got beyond the grand duke's territory he was lately heard of 
as a secret agent to the austrian police end of section two